In this first episode, we talk about the basics of computing for lawyers. This is a one-on-one episode. Hello and welcome to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology, and business. So today we want to talk about the basics of computation and law. And one of the things we are trying to explore today is the relationship between computers and lawyers and how looking back on that history can help us uh, evaluate what knowledge and skills do lawyers need to contribute to a well-functioning future digital society. Friends, what does the lawyers know about current technology? Alexandra. Well, that's a good question. I think that, you know, it depends, depending on the, probably, unfortunately, the age uh, of the lawyer and what is their exposure to the technology and how long they've been around and what are kind of, um, I would say, um, expected that they know. Uh, yeah. So I think also for this, if, if we say we have the age of the lawyer, I think if we look back say 20 years, I think there was a split there where we have one section of lawyers that have been very engaged from the beginning of technology. And then we perhaps have a group that missed the train, so to say, and now become quite stubborn in saying, I want to make this transition. Okay. And what would you, what do you mean by this group that became some stu- uh, somehow stubborn about the transition? So I think. The group that followed along the technolo- uh, technological transformation or the rise of, of technology, they followed from child steps until the development, and they are very up to date. They probably know more than the tech native generation that is usually seen as the promise of, of the future of lawyers. Mm. But there is this other group who did not engage with technology from the beginning, who maybe now looks up to this huge mountain and says, okay, I have 10 more years left in the field, what is left for me to pick up in this field? And I, you know, and undoubtedly it becomes overwhelming, but okay. But let's maybe start at the very beginning, given the fact that this is a one-on-one episode. So Leonard, a question towards yourself is, so what is, what are computations and, and why do we actually need, in your perspective, computers in our working life? And how do lawyers use computers today? The way I've seen computers use technology, um, I think that the, the things that come up to mind uh, right now, there's a lot of cloud solutions where you can get like different members of a team working on the same case and making sure that they're all contributing to one single file that's online so that there's a little bit less uh, coming and going to identify at what stage is uh, uh, our current uh, merger and acquisition process with this uh, client A 
uh, or uh, what have we done on those sales contracts for client B. If there's more than one person working on a on customer, then they can they can access all of this online uh, in the cloud. So that's like in, in the very very current technologies. I think that's probably the the latest one. Uh, also, I see more and more lawyers using electronic signature solutions that uh, really facilitates the signing process for important documents. Um, I'm starting to see tools to facilitate uh, know your customer rules, uh, anti-laundering uh, um, regulation with software that's just making it easier to, uh, to assess whether a customer is dangerous or not. Uh, but I think also one thing that's been very impactful for lawyers is just uh, hour count uh, software that lets you uh, bill by the hour. Yeah, I think that that's the the most many uh, um, lawyers out there use the Excel for the probably it has a better UI and but the backbone is an Excel sheet somehow where you count your hours. I think then you're very correct in the sense that there are so many solutions out there that can make the lawyer's life a little bit more efficient or simplify it. But maybe I just go a little bit back into the history uh, as I like to do and just to give our listeners a, a, a tad bit of an intro. If, if you really look into the history of computers, computers started to where originally and why they are even called computers are because they where these tools, these machines that were used or foreseen to be used for computing, for simple math or complex math, even so. Um, and only over a period of number of decades, truly, we started to, to see a, a different rise of computers, mainly in the 80s and 90s, where some people realized that, well, we can use computers also for other things than just basic computings and and these numbers, ones and zeros, and the binary system that the computers are using, we can see some form of a logic out there, which we can call computation logic, that we can apply in other activities and use it in, in some businesses and, and so on. And, and based on this, maybe start working on some softwares that can utilize this logic of one and, and, and zeros and this logic of there is electricity and there is an electricity to to create programs and, and let the user kind of use uh, the computer also for, for other things. I want the guys because, yeah, we are, we could say we're a little bit younger generation. Do you remember your first computer? I do. So what was that? I was playing StarCraft when I was uh, eight or, yeah, seven, eight already in the family computer. Mm -hmm. I also remember, uh, I think it was called like Pentium or something like that. And and I still remember that one Christmas I really wanted this joystick. The old, you know, this, I mean, it's called joystick. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. Uh, where I use the D now for some games. Uh, mainly cars, I remember. And then my sister, who is, uh, who is 11 years older than myself, the, the biggest computer game for her was Tetris. Uh, and I think that she, she would play it till today if she could. Mm. What about you, Bertine? 
I remember the first computer I got myself when I was 12 was a laptop. A laptop? A laptop. Okay, so we are now talking about non-90s anymore. No, no, it's it's flash forward to to the mid-2000s. Okay, yeah. And I remember that when I was 15, I bought my first domain with some savings. And by that time, it was still quite expensive for a teenager. So what was the domain that he bought? I can't remember exactly what the domain was, but I was very into pixel art. Okay. And there's a fascinating crowd out on the internet into pixel art. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that we did some some websites for sure and web designs. And I can tell you guys that when I um, uh, visited Japan a few years back, it's like maybe six, seven years back, uh, still some of the websites still there look like those websites that we designed in the two, early 2000s. So for sure, I mean, we can see that the use of technology differs also culturally and it also differs depends, depending where you are, where you come from. Um, so there are also these cultural elements. Um, but Berdine, what do you think about these skills and knowledge that today lawyers and Let's talk about this from the perspective of maybe younger generation of lawyers in their 30s or 40s who will be on the market, not just for the next five years, but possibly for the next 20, 30 years. What are the skills and, and knowledge from the tech area that you think, as someone who bought in her when she was a teenager, a domain, need to have? Yes, yeah, so definitely if I compare myself then to peers, I don't think the majority perhaps of the students that I found in, in, in law school or connected with in law school did this reverse engineering of learning themselves how to code and buy a domain name. So I don't think that we should take that as a benchmark for, for technology. I think as a starting point to say how much knowledge do you need to have for tech, I think we need to make a distinction between technology used for lawyers mm -hmm. or technology that takes over the role of lawyers. Because that first category, technology for law, that basically takes over the tedious task that you do as a lawyer. So we already mentioned before writing hours, mm -hmm. but you can automate that. And I think for that, you don't need a lot of understanding of technology. I think anyone will be able to adapt to a working life where we implement these types of technologies. For the other part where we focus on legal tech that really takes over the role of lawyers, I think there will be a very high demand, but also a niche demand. I don't think that the general lawyer in a law firm needs to have so much knowledge of computation or of coding in that sense that they need to be able to develop these products. But perhaps we do need to look at lawyers that are being trained right now and say, you need to be able to speak the lingo. Exactly. You need to have the vocabulary to work in this environment. Yes, because I think that obviously there is a big step between a lawyer who can code and a lawyer who can communicate with the computer scientist. Yeah, we've had disagreements about this, you and I, Alexandra, about whether uh, lawyers need to code or not. Uh, my view on the subject for a long time has been that um, whenever lawyers engage with counseling matters relating to technology, building technology, then they should have a popular science understanding of the technology. 
rather than an in-depth one. So we, you and I, we disagree because I think that lawyers don't need to know how to code because they're not going to be asked to code. But I'm, I might start to change my, uh, my opinion about this just because it's potentially necessary that lawyers become able to read code even if they can't necessarily uh, write the code themselves. Like they, they should be able to look at a few lines of code and understand, have like a very general idea of what's happening because when you have your colleagues that are developing a new software and you need to check that, it's, uh, uh, that it does privacy by design, and if you are able to read the code and to to understand at a more technical level what is happening, you might be better suited to, to to help them build a system that's private by design from the beginning. I think I think there is a you know in our kind of disagreement. I think that the disagreement is really niche because my perspective on on teaching lawyers how to code is not from the perspective that I believe that the, these lawyers will become coders maybe just 10%. And I think that there are already out there and I know a number of lawyers who actually changed their um, career and became coders uh, fairly quickly. Uh, but rather through coding and teaching them basics of coding, uh, allowing them to experience this and to allow them to, to kind of get themselves into this position where in order for them to understand the logic of it, right? This computation logic that sometimes we we kind of forget and which is ultimately, even the, again, that this is one-on-one, computation logic is the logic based on which computers operate and, and allowing them to experience that in order for them to actually realize that it's not that far away from the legal kind of logic that we use in how we conceptualize the laws and how we create regulations, you know, all these basics, if this and that, we see in so many rules and obligations around us that, you know, many of these can be optimized. So then if you are now a lawyer and hopefully you're still listening after 10 minutes and you get through this one-on-one on, on codification, do you now need to run to your computer Google for coding course? Well, I think one of the most important things that lawyers need to do these days is have an open and an interested mind. See what is coming at you. See how you can interact with the technology. And yes, for a lot of technological tools, you will only have to use the interface. But why not make the step to see what Alexandra is, is meaning and transform your legal logical thinking into technological logical thinking which is not that far apart exactly and this is something which you know and i i remember this so vividly and maybe that just my law school when i was you know a student is when you ask some of the students why did they choose to study law many of them said well because i didn't like math which you know it's such a cliche and actually, it's maybe because, you know, you had a really bad math teacher, but ultimately it, there are so many similarities between the way how lawyers mindset needs to operate and how, how a coder mindset, but so to speak, at this point, 
throughout the, the process of digitalizing our, our society, we're still lacking this ability to communicate with one another, right? And I think you, Lana, have a, you, you have a great experience of working uh, or trying to work with specialists in robotics in Odense and, and some other places where you yourself have the, the kind of a real life experience to, to work with some people who presume that you might not necessarily understand them. Yeah, definitely. There's a big, uh, there's a big language, culture and assumptions uh, a barrier between uh, lawyers and engineers writ large. Um, engineers have this mindset that they think they can do everything on their own. Uh, and lawyers as well, don't they? Well, we—it's not like we say we can do, we can code anything, right? We don't. Lawyers don't say, "Oh, we can do that software," but the engineers say, "Yeah, we can figure the law by ourselves." Ah, uh, okay. So there's that first barrier. There's another barrier that uh, the lawyers tend to say no all the time, like, "No, this is not going to work. No, this is not going to work." Or even, you know, yes, but, which is basically a no. <laughs> um, and the engineers, they really have this we can do it kind of mindset where there's a problem. It's a problem of finding a solution, um, not of, uh, of, uh, of uh, identifying the roadblock better, uh, which is what the lawyers do. So it's a question like, how do we change our mindset as lawyers to be able to collaborate more? Because we're not also terribly much trained to collaborate with other people it's in law school, yeah. right? Um, so there's this issue of collaboration, basic mindset of collaboration, seeing the problem from the other side and not necessarily being so much about identifying all the issues and pointing them out and saying all of these need to be corrected so on rather there's like this good enough kind of mindset that engineers need uh, have that we need to meet so it's this whole process of meeting them and making them trust that you're here to help them rather to make than to make their their work harder and it's uphill because they have this assumption that you're just going to say no all the time and make it and make their life more complicated well, you know, again, going a little bit into history, if you, if you really think about how many of the computers, uh, the first ones really in the after the Second World War um, came around is through collaboration, right? Where there wasn't a field of computer science per se. There was mathematicians, there were physicists, there were some chemists as well. So I assume that if there were lawyers uh, as a part of the, the group, possibly we would not be able to to have computers today so so undoubtedly uh bringing bringing uh lawyers and and teaching them to the mindset that yes there are some elements that will never be perfect uh, that's the only way also to innovate right because otherwise if everything needs to be 100 percent, then you will probably never get there but just to come back on this notion that maths is the opposite of law, I think that you're right. Uh, there's a very there's a lot of uh, common ground between law and, and mathematics in the same logical thinking that you talk about. I completely agree with this. But there's another thing about ma about law, which is very discursive by nature, which is like very literary where it's a question of like reading words and an exercise in reading literature almost and mm -hmm. interpreting the, the mind, the, the will of the person who wrote 
those words and like what did they have in mind what did they mean when they said this or that it's a kind of interpretation that's much more literary and i think that we are able to play on both grounds of the logic and the discourse and i think that's definitely something that's uh bringing value potentially if we can you know make it shine in the light uh in the light that makes sense with the also the, with the it people i think that we can definitely bring things together and we have this basic training to to act as an interpreter already because our uh subject our topic is halfway between logics and language indeed and i think that this is the right spot to end today's podcast on the basics of computing 101. Listen to the next one if you are interested into more details about the basics of computing, where we'll do a deep dive. And thanks to our production team and Filippo. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law of the University of Copenhagen. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.